Greetings. In this message, my whole aim is to provide a better way forward for Christian people. Now, I've done messages like this before, but perhaps um, God will help me um, do a better job this time. I think it's so important that we don't pretend to be something that we're not. I, I am simply a Christian brother. I'm a Sunday school teacher. Um, I don't have a seminary degree or anything of that nature. I have some education, but nothing of that nature. But I have something to offer. And what I, what I share with you is like, really this message is like a, like a conversation, really, of of I see this channel like a like a signpost that says, hey, listen, I can point you in a better way forward so we can be Christians that have greater assurance, greater trust and love for the Lord, and that we'd be able to exhibit Christ in a greater way in our lives. In other words, we'd be able to reflect God's glory in our lives far better than what we do today. Not a sense of performance, like you fake it till you make it, but I'm talking about in reality. Because you can see that this world, this unraveling world, um, has nothing to offer. It's bankrupt. And you can see the Christian church, um, to put it nicely, is not behaving like herself. In other words, the bride of Christ needs Jesus. It needs the bridegroom to come down and red the heavens. One of the reasons that we're struggling so much is it's been such a long time since there's been a revival. And what I want to remind you is a revival, way to say it, is, is a greater presence of God. So the very fact that I have this feeling like, oh, I, I want a greater presence of God, I have to believe that God himself has impressed that upon me. In other words, my heart aches for him because Jesus' bride is, is struggling. And we can see this within, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but maybe the key word is disgruntled. We're very disgruntled people. We get tripped up very easily. Things that are softball things in life really can stumble us. So whether it's a bickering spirit, disgruntled, um, gossip, um, overlooking the needs of others, um, loving things and using people versus loving people and using things. There's a lot of ways to describe it. But, um, you know, the one I always point out to every year during the holidays is how stressful people get because family is going to come and visit them for a few hours. I mean, we're really weak people. 
So, you know, you can look at what Paul writes, young Timothy, you know, in the last days, what people will be like. You can, I've read those passages many times. You can look at them again. But we're, our behavior is really bad. We're disgruntled, complaining, bickering type people. And there's a lot of statistics, but I'm not going to go through them. I, in other words, I think this problem is so plain and clear, like you're listening to it. I, I just don't think anybody can argue this point. You can see the breakdown in families, marriages, divorces. I mean, who is not, what family is not touched by these tragic results? Breakdown between parents and children and children and parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents and all the It's just a mess. Just a total mess. Disgruntled. So, what is a better way forward? Now, what I've always shared with you, like in Romans 6, 17, is the way that we grow in, in Christ is the Word of God um, comes to our mind, illuminates our heart, and changes our will. So that when we hear the Word of God or we read the Word of God, it illuminates our mind. We say, oh, yes, this is the truth. It captures our heart, which then changes our will. Now you might be asking, well, John, can you... Can you give me something more specific than that, though, about how that plays out in my daily life as a Christian? And I can. So, so let's get to it. Our biggest problem is we've lost confidence in God and His Word. So to put it in the positive, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and just look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So Christian brothers and sisters, until that is a reality in our lives, then nothing's going to get better. So that's why, like I'm saying, to put it forwardly, straightforwardly, is like, this world is bankrupt. It lies to you. It never keeps its promises. It's like a bad politician who's making all these claims every election cycle. And if you just step back and go, wait a minute, you made this promise already. And it's been 30 years and you never kept your promise. But it's God who keeps his promises. So it's God who's the one that's proven to be trustworthy, not this world. So we deal with facts. We deal with reality. So this is why we trust in the Lord. In other words, the Lord you know, wants us to live this life by faith, but he gives us enough evidence to why we should trust in him. Um, read John's gospel as an example, right? And, and Jesus is giving these signs, meaning that these miracles aren't just miracles. They're signs. They mean something. So Christian, go explore that. Why is Jesus performing these miracles? What is he proving? 
Why, why is there a physical resurrection and not just a spiritual resurrection? So that we would know, that we would have assurance that he is the Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament. And we don't lean on our own understanding because in what Proverbs 14, as I recall, let me turn here, yes, 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but it, but in the end it leads to death, which is why we don't want to lean on our own understanding. We are still fallen, precarious creatures. And so we're being bombarded all the time by the things of this world, which confuses us, puts us in bondage in a whole host of ways. I've mentioned them before, but whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, we, idols have gotten so, there's so many idols in our lives. Look how we're identifying ourselves. You don't see anybody identifying themselves as a child of God, which is what we actually are in reality. So, no, we, we cannot lean on our own understanding because God's ways are far different than our ways. So, for example, I don't want to just throw that out there like a cliche, but the core of the gospel message that God himself would come and die on a cross for undeserving sinners makes absolutely no sense to us. No sense whatsoever. But that's God's way. God has powers and information and grace and mercy and love and holiness. Going back to Deuteronomy, is it 29.29? That you and I know either very little about or nothing about. So God is quite extraordinary individual. <laughs> and he's trustworthy. And this is why we don't lean on our own understanding. We want to acknowledge him in all of his ways because it's his promises that we can hold to. And he will show us the way forward. Now you might be saying, well, John, th that sounds good, but can, you, can, you be, can we even be more practical? Well, and the Bible really is practical, isn't it? So turn with me to 1 Peter, and we'll be in chapter 1. And I want to encourage you to, to read the entire chapter. It's, it's worth studying. I may do actually more messages on this chapter before we return back to the Calvinistic Methodist. But you see that Peter lays out the, his doctrine in the first half of the chapter. And then as a result of these things... Um, you know, he shows the, the rich privileges the Christian has. He has exhortations to study holiness. And, um, and then we get to the application in verse 13, which is the second half of the chapter. And he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And in your conduct, and in your conduct. Okay, so there are two things that I simply want to focus on in this week's message. The first is the word ignorance. That is how the devil keeps us in the dark and plays games with us, and confuses us, and confounds us, and leads us off the narrow path, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. 
Mr. Worldly Wiseman comes our way, and it sounds good. It sound, might even sound biblical. But these characters, you know, they're, they're from the devil's camp. So there's all these worldly wis, you know, wise men and wise women out there that are carnal. They know nothing of God, and they sound good. But it's just at the surface level, and they can misguide us. And that's the, and that's the ignorance. That's why ignorance leads to darkness. Truth, information, reality leads to light. It's God's wisdom, right? So God's wisdom is what we want to cling to, and it's ignorance that keeps us in the dark. So let me give you a, an example. When we looked at the Calvinistic Methodists, why, why were the people in Wells in such poor spiritual state before the great revivals, let's say beginning in 1735? So before 1735, so the Puritans are dead, okay? The Reformers are long gone, the Puritans are dead. Wells is in a terrible state spiritually, very few Christians. And it's just so dark that, as one preacher said, you couldn't exaggerate it, it was so bad. Well, because the people of Wells were ignorant. A, they couldn't read. And if they could read, they didn't have a Bible. Ignorance. Ignorance. That's how the devil keeps people in the dark. Creates confusion. Or gives you half-truths. Remember, we, we want the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We don't want half-truths. We want complete truths from somebody who is trustworthy. The truth is, this world will never satisfy our souls. It has nothing to offer us. But the person of Jesus Christ will satisfy our souls. He will never let us down. I'm going to let my wife down. I do it on a regular basis. But you know when I'm going to let my wife down the most? The day I die. That's when I'm going to let her down. She's going, wait a minute, you can't die. You're here to take care of me. What are you doing? And that's why my wife has to find Christ so lovely, so satisfied, because it is he who will not die. He will take care of my wife when I go to heaven. Do you see my point? I mean, in many ways, we don't know how to live until we know how we're going to die. And it is ignorance. It is ignorance. That's why this world doesn't want you to go here to attend a, a, a corporate worship or go to a prayer meeting or go to Sunday school or read your Bible. Because this world wants to keep you ignorant. Let me entertain you. Let me give you mud pies instead of wedding cake. <laughs> you know, you know, let, me just, let me try to satisfy you. Let me, you know, look over here, you know. Don't look to the cross, but let me look, look over here. Let me distract you. Let me get you worked up on other other things. So I really want to emphasize this word ignorance. So think about it through all the scriptures. I mean, how many times, you know, when you were ignorant, you were, uh, you know, pursuing your former passions, but now you've been called out, out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So ignorance is our enemy, not our friend. And I think it's also important when we talk about holiness, we're never going to reach the state of glorification 
on this side of the grave. So it's really important we understand this because as Americans, we're so performance-oriented. The gospel is not performance-oriented, other than if you want to say Jesus Christ is the one that did the performing. In other words, it was his performance, his life, his death, his resurrection. All right, he is the one who did everything for us. So it's out of gratitude and love that we say, I want to live for God now. Look what God has done for me. And then now, this is what you probably are looking for, preparing your minds for action. In other words, put your minds in motion. All right? And this is how I want to um, uh, give greater light to the practicality of, of what that looks like. Now, so how do we do that? Prepare our minds for, for action, right? Put our minds into motion, right? We want to study holiness, right? Valuable things, e eternal things, right? How do we do that? Look at the picture. This is the better way forward. The question is, Christian, what are you grazing on? What are you spending your time on? Let me give you a kind of a funny example, but it's really true. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was grieved before he became a minister. He's a young man. He's in medical school and he's developing a reputation for himself. And he gives a speech on the spiritual state of wells. I can't remember the title of it, but it was, you know, like what what is the trouble of wells or, or how is it that wells, Welsh people have been misguided, you know. And the doctor's pointing out that the Welsh people have such a, rich Christian history, but they've lost Christ. And, you know, so it's like the spiritual state of wells, you know, and what's gone wrong. That's the thrust of the, of the talk. And he makes a comment in there. He says, you know, like I'm even against um, this new craze of indoor plumbing. Um, or really, really what's like would be called modern bathrooms because it was during a time where, oh, wow, I could have hot water in my house. I could take a bath or a shower every day. Every day I can, wow, th this is amazing. So imagine if you lived in an age where you're like going, oh my goodness, I, there's a, what, what, it's called a water heater? And I'm able to have a, a, a bath on demand? This is amazing. And the doctor was saying, there's so much consumed by self. In other words, the great idol of the time, which is always our struggle, it's me, myself, I, the unholy trinity, where we put ourselves in the center. And the doctors say, listen, when we have this new modern bathroom, all it's going to do is just draw us further away from God because we're going to invest so much time in our appearance. So instead of taking a bath because it required a lot of work, you know, maybe every other day or a few times a week. Now we're going to do it every day, which is going to consume more of our time away from the Bible. Now, the doctor kind of got criticized for making that point. So he was now going to give the message again a second time, like a, an updated message. And he went back to it and he goes, I know I got ridiculed for this point, but I'm sticking to it. And he refers back to Lazarus. He goes, yeah, I'd rather have a roommate that stinketh but is holy 
That's what I, that's what I prefer. So the overarching point is don't, don't get caught up. This is not about whether you should take a bath or not, but think about the amount of time, the vanity that we spend and how we look. Our hair, our skin condition, you know, all the things that we do, men and women alike, how much time we actually spend on the outward appearance versus caring for our inward souls is the point. I think it's a powerful point. I think it's one that we should take seriously. So preparing your minds for action, putting it into motion. So A, it's prioritizing so that we're not spending too much time on things like, you know, personal hygiene and how we look, but care more for our souls. What are we spending time on? And so in front of you, how to prepare for your minds? Well, by having good Christian books. So the first thing is you have a Bible in front of you. Every Christian should have a Bible. And you should have a methodology about how you're going to read the Bible. So for example, the Robert Murray Machine Reading Guide, where you read four chapters a day, which means you'll read the Old Testament once a year, Psalms twice a year, and the New Testament twice, is a really good reading guide. But I'm for all Bible reading guides, by the way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say one's better than the other. And if you say reading four chapters a day is too much, because maybe you don't have a good survey of the Bible. You know, I found it hard sometimes to read the Bible when I didn't have a good over overarching understanding of the Bible. Well, maybe you want to read two chapters a day so you can spend more time kind of surveying the Bible and understanding how the Bible interconnects. Okay? Like there's a book called like Explore the Book. And that would give you a good survey, a good overview of the Bible. You may want to take a, just a college class, not to get a degree or anything of that nature, but just to receive the benefit of having a survey of the Old and New Testament. So we graze on the Word of God. And we have a methodology. We, we, we put our minds in motion. All right? Second, you see, Jesus Christ and Him crucified this wonderful sermon that I'm saying that everyone in Christ and outside of Christ should read that was preached in 1977. It is the sermon that will address the ills of this world and our spiritual state and shows us the gospel in a, in a tremendous way. It is the thrust of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry. So you can get it from Banner of Truth. I think it's $2.25. Next, you have to have good theology so that we're grounded, so we're not ignorant. We're not ignorant, right? We already talked about that. So you have Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. So you say, John, my mind is too simple. I, don't, I can't understand Christian theology. It's too complicated. Um, no, it's not. That's just not true. That's just not true. My family comes from car business, and so I have a lot of you know mechanics and things like that. And I always point out, you know, car mechanic can understand you know the combustible engine, right? There's a controlled explosion that makes the pistons go up and down. So don't tell me you can understand that, but you can't understand Christian doctrine. So Louis Burkhoff, as an example, makes what you might consider to be complicated simple, and that's a good teacher. That's what good teachers do makes the complicated simple. 
So, for example, if you read Justification by Faith, and when you look at these books, you don't read them cover to cover, but you look at particular topics. So, let's say if you want to study Assurance by Salvation. Well, let's see what Lewis Burkhoff or John Calvin have to say about that. But if you look at Justification by Faith, what you would discover is everything that's true of Christ is now true of you because you're in Christ. Just stop and think about it. So there's two books on theology. Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology and John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. So those are the two books on theology that I'm saying to you, hey, to prepare your mind, to put your mind in motion, to be a strong, healthy Christian. These are two excellent works of theology. And what are you going to learn? Everything that's true of Christ is true of you because you're in Christ. No, John, you don't know what I've done. All my sins. The damage that it's caused. Nothing can make this right. No, you don't understand. By being in Christ, your sins have been cast away into the ocean. Never to be spoken of again. Those are the former things. Christ dealt with all of those things, all that ugliness at the cross. Everything that's true of Christ is true of you because you're in Christ. That is the result of justification by faith. So my point is you can take 15, 30 minutes reading great doctrines of the faith by Calvin and Louis Burkhoff, and you can grow like three years or even 30 years. Like, people say to me, or I give the impression like I'm reading a thousand pages a week. I'm doing good if I could read like a hundred pages a week. You know? But even if it's 50 or 30, it's still a tremendous benefit to me. It's keeping me from ignorance. God is revealing new things to me, new things for me to learn and to grow. I'm like a child. I got no issue with that. I want that. New divine revelation, greater revelation, so I can understand our Lord a little bit better than what I do today in this life that he's called me to. And I can discern, like, as a Christian man, I know what to do with sin. I've got total assurance, too, that my sin has been dealt with, so I know how to confess and bring it into the light and ask God for help. I don't want to have a, a spirit of the Pharisees. I don't want to have a censorious heart. I don't want to be, you know, ridiculing people and killing people with my tongues. I remember when I used to do that. I don't want to do that. No, I want to leave all those former things behind me, or greed, or lust. So, yes, works of theology. And then, and, and I want to, again, I want to try to give you an example of each one, but like in Acts, do you see there the book? These are sermons preached by John Calvin. Oh, John Calvin's too deep of a theologian. I could never understand his preaching. That's not true. That's not true. Calvin preached in a way where the high-minded, like, like lawyers and doctors, can understand, but so could, you know, but so could the the ordinary farmer, the ordinary, you know, handyman. And Calvin, I think, conducted church every day, by the way. So you read these sermons, you'll be going, oh my goodness, I can't believe the power and the simplicity of them. 
the illumination of them. And Calvin says things that Calvin shouldn't say. Let me give you an example. Calvin makes this point, and I'm paraphrasing now, mind you. But he says, you know what Judas's problem was? Do you know what um, King Saul's problem was? King Saul? Yeah. What their problems were? They acted without thinking. They acted without asking God. Judas and King Saul took things into their own hands. Bad decision. Go and ask God. That is the lesson. That's what God wants us to know, you know, Calvin would say. And you'll read that in Acts. Go, and then all of a sudden your theology gets all kind of messed up. Wait a minute, but, but Judas is the son of perdition, and this had to happen for, for, for scriptures to be fulfilled. And here's John Calvin saying, hey, Judas, don't betray Christ. Don't go hang yourself. Stop. Go ask the Lord. Don't take things into your own hand. See, there are things that you and I on this side of the grave are not going to be able to understand in terms of God's great providence. It's a great mystery without a deed. But my point is, and I hope that I'm representing Calvin correctly in the sermon, my overarching point certainly is, um, but you can read it for yourself and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I've, I've read this sermon multiple times, so I think I'm remembering it quite well, where he says, hey, Judas, don't take action. Don't, don't, don't take things into your own matter. Seek the Lord. Christian people, seek the Lord. And But my point is the how plain spoken the sermons are. That's my point. And then you should have commentaries like First and Second Peter. So again, this comes from Banner of Truth, the Geneva um, commentary series. Highly recommend. Matthew Henry, you know, like you can look at men like Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon will tell you all the great commentaries that he really, that really blessed him. Matthew Henry was certainly one of them. So what do we have in our Christian library? Well, we have our Bible. We have a, a methodology about how to read our Bible. We have works. We read sermons like the doctor's sermons um, or like John Calvin's sermons or Martin Luther's sermons. We have works of theology like Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology and John Calvin, The Institutes. And the reason I like John Calvin's The Institute's from Banner, its translation is from French. And French was John Calvin's native tongue. And so I think it's a better translation, by the way. So you know that. Louis Burkhoff, for example, Systematic Theology. You know what Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said? That he keeps this book within arm reach of his desk. So he keeps it within arm reach. It's like it's one of his most vital books, right? And, and then you read... Uh, sermons like, for example, Acts, and then you have commentaries so that you have people that could help explain the meaning of the scriptures, such as First and Second Peter. And then you have church history, like, for example, the Great Awakening that you see there, where, again, in our theology, and we understand, you know, Jesus says things such as, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith anywhere? But in our theology, we have to be able to have, um, also include the theology of a revival. That there can be these sweet seasons in our lives, whether it's worldwide or particular geography, as God sees fit. But in our theology, we need to be able to hold fast to the truth also that God, in the midst of great darkness, can move in a powerful way 
so that many would come to saving faith. So in our theology, we always have to have room for revival. And then you have uh, biographies. So in this example is Daniel Rowland's biography that was just republished by Banner of Truth after, what, 20, 25 years? And if you read this biography, first off, you'll be like going, wow, God used a man like Daniel Rowland, who really wasn't fit for the ministry, who wasn't, he himself was not saved, and who had wrong motivations at the beginning, like he wanted to attract a crowd. That's why he wanted to improve in his preaching. But in his arrogance and pride, Griffin Jones calls him out on a Sunday morning, and he goes back weeping because he feels the conviction of sin, you know. And God uses him. And you sit here and go, well, if God can use a man such as that, well, maybe God can use somebody like me. And what you'll find in by reading biographies is you have a lot in common with the brothers and sisters of the faith that have lived before you, and they can help us. So we want to have our Bibles, a methodology, sermons, theology, uh, uh, commentaries, and we want to have church history. We want to have biographies. And we also want to have works, such as the Puritan Hope. You know, so there's like different topics you may say, I want to say, I want, I want to study this Puritan Hope because what we'll see, because what happens is, again, God is going to be victorious. So in the Puritan Hope, one of the things you'll glean from that book is, oh, the Puritans pray that God would be victorious. <laughs> You know, things aren't going to just go from, you know, from bad to worse. <laughs> you know, certainly feels that way. But the Puritan hope will give us a wider lens. So in other words, the wider that you view church history, the more hopeful you'll be. The more narrow you are, you know, you can tend to be downcast. So again, I'm not, we need to see the total landscape. So we see the darkness. And then we also see how God overcomes that darkness by using, uh, by proclaiming, by by using, you know, these these creatures like preachers, <laughs> and turns them into flaming ministers, and they preach the gospel message, and that's what every Christian is called to do, right? We are to proclaim the gospel message so that others can receive the grace that you and I have received. But the Puritan hope will teach us things like, oh wow. It's good for me to pray that God would be victorious over this age in the works of the devil and that souls would come out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes. Then you have Pilgrim's Progress, which I think is a, is a must-read for every Christian. And what you'll find in Pilgrim's Progress, besides great theology and a wonderful story, is A, you got a lot in common with John Bunyan, who lived centuries ago. Each one of us do. You'll see that God sends people in our life to help us. We'll see that Satan sends people in our lives to try to trip us up, confuse us, lead us away from God. You'll see that in the book, it's amazing that a third of the book is going from the city of destruction to the cross, but then two-thirds of the book is going from the cross to heaven. So a lot of times as Christian people, oh, I made it to the cross, I'm done. My pilgrimage is done on this earth because I made it to the cross. No, no, my friend, we have to make it to the, you know, the Bible tells us those who persevere to the end shall be saved. So, um, so Pilgrim's Progress story is really essential because it shows us, again, that the fact that we're on a pilgrimage, 
It shows the importance of assurance. It shows the importance of having good Christian friends. Yes. And it shows us the spiritual battles that you and I need to take seriously. Need to take seriously. So, when uh, Peter is saying, preparing your minds for action. Action to do what? Putting your minds in motion. To study holiness. Well, how do I study holiness? Well, I'm giving you an example of actual books that will um, you'll grow in holiness because you'll reflect more of God's glory. But you'll do it by spirit, not by the flesh. And what do you need? Well, you need a good, you know, a, a good um, an, a, an appetite of good Christian books. What do they consist of? Well, God's word, sermons, theology, biographies, church history, commentaries, and other works or subjects that um, that God presses on your heart that you would explore them. And how much time should you commit to these things? Well, can you commit 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes a day, an hour a day? It, it becomes like um, breathing. It's just like what we want, we want Christ to be our most intimate companion. I used to end messages this way. May Christ be our most intimate companion. May scripture become our new language. And may prayer become our new sport. And what I mean by that is, you see how fanatical, like a fan, right? The comes from the word fanatical. Can you see how fanatical sports fans are, right, about their teams? And they just got to watch their teams? Well, that's what I'm trying to say about, as Christian people, shouldn't we just be fanatical about prayer? Shouldn't we just want to be in communion with the Lord? So, I hope, again, I've done this message probably a dozen times or maybe even dozens of times. I hope this one's a little bit better. I hope it has, has a better rhythm to it as far as just kind of, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense to me. Um, and Because there's a reason why, um, you know, I, <laughs> I got to remind you that the Christian, we see the whole landscape of life. We see the physical, the material, the psychological, right? We see the social issues, but we also see the spiritual issues. We see the whole breath of life. Do you see what I mean? And these are the things that we want to graze on so that we grow in holiness in the right way and we can reflect God's glory. And what we need more than anything else is that assurance of salvation so that we have total confidence in the Lord. And so I'm going to end it. I think I've covered it as best as I can. There are certainly much better preachers and ministers that you should listen to. But I hope that I've given you a good start. But I want to end it with where I started. From the very beginning, the way Satan won is to leave, to lead Adam and Eve into ignorance. Did God really say? And that is our greatest problem today. This world, this Satan, the evil one, the darkness that is over this world right now, it it's really here because we doubt God. Did God really say? Is God really real? Did he really create everything? Is there one God or is there many gods? Do all religions lead to salvation, you know, kind of thing? What's going on here? I mean, there's just great confusion everywhere, right? And so that's 
that's the core of the problem. We don't, you know, it's this, did God really say? And the answer is, yes, he really did say this. And we don't want to remain in ignorance. And this is not a pride thing. It's not like, like it's, it's good. Like in the Bible, or I'm sorry, in Pilgrim's Progress, there's even a character called ignorance. <laughs> you, know, you know, this is ignorance. No, we, we don't want to stay in that way. So we want to grow as healthy Christians. And let's not be ashamed or embarrassed to grow is what I'm trying to say. We're all struggling. We have more in common than not. So, um, so that's the challenge. Did God really say? And it's doubting. So, what, what do what, what do we want to do? What goes back to Proverbs three, five, and six? This is the better way forward. This is the only way forward. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will be. He will make your straight your paths. And now I've given you the prescription, the cure, about how to do that, how to grow in faith and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'm just a signpost. I'm just saying, hey, this is the better way. This is the way forward. We don't have to stay with this disgruntled, bickering spirit, you know, the spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Well, I'm already at the 40-minute mark, and this is much longer than I wanted to go, but I hope it was uh, some blessing to you and that it helps put your mind into motion better than what it may perhaps what it has been if you've been struggling. And if you have been uh, just pursuing God and just diving into His Word and just being bathed by it, well, I hope that this is a great encouragement to you as an affirmation that you're certainly on the right path. But let's be clear about something. We're never going to be glorified in this side of the grave. Let's just grow in Christ and let's see what God does. How about that? Let's put guilt aside and let's just put our eyes on Christ and pursue Him and draw closer to Him and just trust in the Lord. Why don't we just do that? And then as you're living your life every day and as you're growing, share with others. As you're seeing new things, then respond to that and share the love of God with others. Put your faith into action is my point. Everything matters. Every conversation, every act, every minute. Well, I hope that makes sense. Grace upon grace be with you all.